Hello and welcome to MacBytes, episode 139. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. In this episode, we're clipping windows to an iPad and hailing the car to be the star. But first, are you going to share the behind-the-scenes exclusive that was almost a showstopper from last time? Vent, you mean. Uh, can I subtitle it? The Perils of an iCloud Backend for Feeder. Feeder being the app that we use to publish the show. We have four feeds in Feeder, an M4A, an MP3, an M4A test feed and an MP3 test feed, three of which were working fine. You know which one was failing, don't you? Yes, the primary feed, of course. Now, it actually happened last time, back in April, uh, which eventually resulted in us nuking the feed entirely and republishing the entire thing right back to episode one, rather than just add the latest show. This time, even that trick didn't work. No, bad words were said, and not just by you. But after sacrificing a chicken not Lola's chicken, I hasten to add, to the tech gods, we got the show out. Anyway, reports were that Akami, I believe that's how you say it, Akami took half the internet down this week. Luckily, I worked overnight and slept through it. I worked through it and didn't even notice. It must have been sites for the cool kids, not us. No, thanks. Sorry. And then there was iDOS, an iOS app, which I'd never heard of before, which was pulled from the store by Apple. Do you know, it was reminiscent of the bad old days when apps were withdrawn every five minutes. Do you remember all those Torch apps with secret screen recording capabilities? <laughs> they were a favourite. I went, I went down the rabbit hole of every single one of them. Uh, but this iDOS app has been in the store in, in one form or another since 2010. So it seems the oxygen of publicity regarding its ability to run Windows proved too much for Apple. Toys out of the pram and app out of the store. Oh, come on. It's Windows 3.1. It's a bit of fun. Apple really do need to lighten up. Anyway, I'm looking forward to being able to run Panther on my Surface. Do you think that'll ever happen? Not the way Apple go on, no. Do you know, they insist an iPad is a real computer and then do their very best to stop app developers proving it. But there you go. Talking of Microsoft, a blast from the past in Microsoft land. Clippy. If you've never heard of Clippy, well, where have you been? Clippy, or Clippit, to give him his full title, launched in 1997 as an assistant in office. His most well-known line was, it looks like you're writing a letter. Now, Mystic Meg, he wasn't. So half the time he'd bounce up and offer to assist you with a letter that you weren't actually writing. He got demoted in Office XP, which launched in 2001. He was still there, but he was turned off by default. Got to love what Microsoft said at the time. Microsoft product specialist Lisa Gurry said Office XP is so easy to use that Clippy is no longer necessary or useful. With new features like smart tags and task panes, Office XP enables people to get more out of the product than ever before. These new simplicity and ease of use improvements really make Clippy obsolete. By 2007, he was completely sunsetted. Microsoft revived the virtual assistant this month uh, for people who use Teams. But he was a shadow of his former self. Clippy's revival wasn't for him to offer assistance. It looks like you're on mute. Uh, he was relegated to being a background image. 
So, poor Clippy was merely eye candy. Microsoft did have an explanation. After well over a year of remote and hybrid work, we could all use some excitement on video calls. We asked our designers to give a few memorable Microsoft moments their debut as Microsoft Teams backgrounds. Lovely. But in addition to all that, Microsoft tweeted that if a tweet of theirs got 20,000 likes, they would bring Clippy back as the paperclip emoji. Clippy's supporters did him proud. Within days, the tweet had had 175,500 likes. So, Clippy, in emoji form, will be on a screen near you very, very soon. You spotted a move at Apple HQ this week, didn't you? Oh, I did. Harry Potter has a new job. If you're wondering who Harry Potter is, he works for Apple. Uh, His real name is Kevin Lynch. But you will have seen him in Apple events. He's the short guy with the round glasses, looks like Harry Potter. You never see Kevin Lynch and Harry Potter in the same room at the same time. He's actually the former Adobe chief technical officer. And he's joined Apple in 2013, which was two years after Steve Jobs died. But it was Steve Jobs that headhunted him, which was all the more surprising because it was after several public runnings between the pair uh, regarding Flash. Lynch actually publicly accused Apple of acting like the big brother they parodied in the infamous 1984 ad in one of these spats. But since he joined Apple, he's become the public face of the Apple Watch, especially the health features. Well, this week he's moved. He's moved to head up the Apple Car Project. Yes, the mythical Project Titan. So, we can now potentially expect that to result in a cross between a Nimbus 2000 and a Firebolt, then. Having never seen a Harry Potter movie, I can't possibly comment. Very wise, Mike. I wouldn't mention broomsticks if I were you. And you had fun with Evernote last week. Oh, indeed. Update, they said. New features, they said. And to be fair, there were some new features. But they paled into insignificance by comparison to the account changes they foisted upon us. Unannounced account changes, I might add. They claimed to have contacted everybody they could, which did not include me. Did you take it personally? Yes. They have no trouble contacting me when they want money. But ultimately, what what happened was um, all changes to the account. So if you had a basic account, that's now an Evernote free account. If you were previously grandfathered onto an Evernote Plus account, you won't see any changes. But Evernote premium account holders now fall into two categories. And we didn't even know we fell into two categories. But there are Evernote premium or there were Evernote premium customers on legacy pricing and another group of Evernote premium customers on rack rate pricing. I've never heard of rack rate pricing, but that's by the by. The legacy premium pricing customers will see no change, but the premium rack rate pricing customers have automatically been transferred to the new Evernote personal. Evernote business is now Evernote teams. You're still following along. Have you noticed all their accounts start with a P, just just to add to the general merriment? (laughs) Now, the new bit is yet another account with a P, Evernote Professional. It's a new, more expensive option, and you have to opt into that. Nobody has automatically got moved to it. But to access all the new features that they're busy talking about, 
um, that's the account you're going to need. So Evernote Personal is $5.99 a month and Professional is $7.49 a month. £1.50 difference. Bizarre. Um, personal is $54.99 a year and Professional is $74.99 a year. So this strange pricing means on the monthly rate, there's £18 difference between them for a year. But on the annual rate, there's £20 difference. Just bizarre. Evernote 10 is still severely lacking previously available functionality to the point that they have released the previous fully featured version and called it Evernote Legacy. And then they deem it wise to complicate and increase the prices. Great going, guys. If you're wondering about the new features that were almost forgotten by the community as the new pricing was revealed, there is a Linux version. I think it's currently in beta and then on the way later. Tasks, which was previously in beta, has now been released. There's Google Calendar integration and more customization of the homepage. They also released about 30 videos all at once to announce all this. After two days, these videos had hardly had any views because anybody on YouTube knows that people tend to go to a channel and then watch the last couple of videos, not the last 30 because they were all posted at once. So short version, um, I feel the Facebook relationship status of it's complicated should be applied to this mess. Probably a good time to mention Friday night. If you join us on Friday night in After Hours 139, we're going to look at one of the alternatives, which is Nimbus Notes, which is, I mean, there are many, many alternatives. And I, if I hear one more person say, oh, I'm moving to Evernote, uh, no, I'm moving from Evernote to Notion, I, I, well, bad words will be said. They're not the same. But the nearest that I found to actually Evernote and its features is Nimbus Note. And we'll have a look at it on Friday. Can I just say something? Go on. I'm moving from Evernote to Notion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what I mean is it depends what, what data you've got in Evernote, doesn't it? But if people think that they can just pick up their notebooks and the stack structure you, to, to do that justice in Notion, you'd need to be quite advanced in Notion, wouldn't you? Yeah. And things like global tags and stuff, it, it's not obvious. It's not. It can be done. Of course it can. You could probably make it better. But I won't lie, Notion does need its hand-holding quite a lot, doesn't it? It does. I mean, every time we look at it, we're like... Do you know what? It would be better if we did that. And we actually did this last night. And I said to you, didn't I? In essence, what I need is a copy of that table. So the first thing I did was copy the table. Then I said to myself, no, hang on a minute. We've got this sync table thing. So synced items. So I said, I'll, I'll do that. And then they can be, both be kept up to date. So I did it, got them on the page, everything fine and dandy, looked, looked amazing. And then I said, right, now we'll lock the page. Because if you've got sync blocks and you don't lock the page, you get this big red border around it. So I did that. Then we tried to add a record. Now you've got to unlock the page to do that. So I thought, not to worry, we'll unlock the page and we'll lock it again later. And the second I unlocked it, all of the customization on the second table twanged back and then I had two that looked identical. There's going to be a lot of bad words mentioned in this show, isn't there? There is. So I ended up having to delete it and go back to, to the original idea. But many people who, who, for some reason, have it in their head that they can move to Notion and not have to think about it, where would they start with something like that? I've been building in Notion for three years. I know enough to know when to break the rules because it, it's broken. And that it's broken. It's as simple as that. It's not just you did it wrong. 
It shouldn't behave like that. It's broken. And that happens quite a lot in Notion. Plus the fact many, many people who use Evernote use it because they need an offline access to their notes. It's going to come as a bit of a shock that there is no offline access. And Notion has been known to go down every now and then, hasn't it? Which is fine if it's 10 minutes, not so good if it's 36 hours like the last one. But anyway, carry on. I stopped using Evernote when they started making me do the device dance. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm on the free tier and they limited it to two devices. I used it mostly on my iMac and my iPhone. So I ended up removing the app from the iPad. But I do actually have a few old notes in there. I think I should call them legacy notes, don't you? Oh, yes. And then you can use the legacy version to access them. <laughs> do you know, if you've not actually got that many in there, it's worth shifting them. But I can appreciate why you don't. Because if you know when you made a note, you, you probably, like me, have a timeline of the apps that you used to use. You know, Yours is probably Evernote Notion. Mine's got about... 20 apps on it. <laughs> I thought I must plot them on a timeline so I can actually find the notes. Not good. Not good. Well, moving on. Twitter got you going again this week, didn't it? No change there then. You don't mean the Javid thing, do you? I was in the middle of Brooklyn's 196 by request, our music show, and I was trying to post an essay to Twitter for my ship 30 for 30 thing. If you've not heard about that, it's 30 atomic essays in 30 days. And this was day 29. So failure at this point, not an option. So I'm there on Twitter trying to post this essay and Javid was trending. Now, I know I shouldn't have looked, but come on, it's almost impossible not to. It turned out that our esteemed health secretary was proudly proclaiming that he'd recovered from COVID and further declaring we shouldn't, and I quote, cower in fear from it. Now, I'm sure the families of the 130,000 people who have died were thrilled to hear that. And no doubt the three million instructed to shield were too. Needless to say, he deleted the tweet later and apologised. But I digress. Uh, no, the first Twitter thing of the week that incensed me was the incoming dislike button. Just what we need. Another way to divide people. It's almost like Twitter isn't toxic enough already, isn't it? I do away with the dislike button everywhere. Yes, YouTube, I'm looking at you. I have had people clicking dislike on a live stream that hasn't started yet. Now, if that's all you do with your time, you've got bigger problems than you know. All a dislike button does is pander to, to bullies and give them a passive aggressive tool to intimidate others with, which in turn acts to silence the quieter folk. And we're all the poorer for not getting the benefit of their opinions or shares because they don't want to deal with the negativity. Are you sure you couldn't have done with a dislike button for the Javid tweet? Well, I let natural selection do its thing. The replies he got put him in his place to such a degree. I wondered why they, those people weren't running the country instead of Javid and his colleagues. Uh, we don't need a dislike button. We need more empathy and common decency between people and not another way to beat each other up. Hear, hear. Shall we talk money? Yes, Zoom have been on a spending spree this week. They bought a company that I've never heard of, Five Nine. Wait for it. $14.7 billion. That's with a B. Billion dollars. I did a bit of research to see why they would be worth that obscene amount of money. 
And, it, and I got this quote. Five Nine is an all-in-one cloud contact center solution for inbound, outbound, blended and omnichannel contact centers worldwide. I should probably point out at this point that this is actually written in English. Powered by practical AI, Five9 enables agents to provide customer experiences across phone, email, chat, mobile, social and more. So basically, it powers those idiots that you have to deal with in customer support that barely speak your language and cut you off when the going gets tough. But it was the quote from Zoom CEO, Eric Wan, that made me smile. We are continuously looking for ways to enhance our platform and the addition of 5.9 is a natural fit that will deliver even more happiness and value to our customers. Right. I was actually happier with Zoom before half of the things they've added during lockdown. That confirm on mute for a start causes complete chaos. And don't get me going about the deafening, this meeting is being recorded message. If I hear that once in a meeting, particularly when people are segmenting the recording, and not only do you hear it, but it puts a message on the screen. And it's never on the same screen twice, is it? No. Anyway, I'd like to add that MacBytes delivers plenty of happiness and it doesn't cost $14.7 billion. I'm clearly being grossly underpaid. No, I think we're just far better value than 5.9 or Zoom. Oh, now Apple. <clears throat> Let me get my teeth into the next story. Apple are not known for changing their minds. They've proved themselves to be intransigent on many fronts. The latest is when it comes to working from home. After 18 months working from home, employees were asked to return to work three days a week from early September. This was unceremoniously announced without consulting the employees themselves. Pro tip, Timmy, don't make proclamations like that without mentioning it first. It never ends well. The world has changed and whether Apple like it or not, working from home is a thing and will stay a thing. Uh, Apple didn't think twice about asking people to work from home with absolutely no notice. Um, I think it's completely unreasonable to summon people back to work, you know, in place work without consultation and, and more of a transitional support thing. The plan was initially three days a week on site, two days at home. However, and I was this did surprise me. The employees thought otherwise and expressed their displeasure in a letter to Timmy. Timmy was unmoved. The employees were equally unmoved with Timmy's response. They expressed their intention to leave Apple before they'd return to in-place working. Nicely done, guys. Timmy was left cradling his proposed and unwanted hybrid work model. Anyway, upshot was then that the planned return to work has had to be pushed back until at least October, which should give Timmy some time to consider his options. Do you know, I genuinely felt with this at the time, which was a while back, but maybe Apple should have thought longer term when they built Apple Park. I mean, obviously, the pandemic wasn't a thing back in 2011 when Steve Jobs revealed the plans. But working from home can't be ignored, as Timmy has now discovered. I don't think it's viable in the long term to ship thousands of workers to a huge site on a daily basis without adversely affecting the locality and the planet. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in October. In relation to this, there's speculation that is already rife about the iPhone event. No, it's not been announced yet, but, you know, the iPhone event, uh, that it'll be virtual. Well, it'd be a bit two-faced to have a virtual event, but tell the employees it's safe to work at work, isn't it? Totally agree with you. 
Mm. I just don't think that they can ignore that. But obviously they've got a vested interest in the building that they've built. But didn't we say they could hive it off? They could they could sell it off for housing. It'd be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to say too much about it. Well, working at home in general, because, you know, there are things going on at work. But about three years ago, before uh, the pandemic, obviously, um, a lot of people at our place would work from home on a Friday. And an edict came down from on high that because they spent a lot of money renovating um, the building, they would like people to be in there five days a week. And I don't think that many people took notice of it. And the the, the guy who did this edict left about a month later. So there was... You see, anybody, anybody that says bad things about working from home, they're gone within weeks. They are. <laughs> You can't yes. put this genie back in the bottle. It's as simple as that. You know, and OK, that, that came around a good few years ago. Um, in that case, it, it's a shame that nobody had a photocopy of it. So when they asked you to work from home and turn your dining room into an extension of work, you could have quoted that back at them and said, no, you've spent an awful lot of money on site. And the fact that I can't get there and they got, you know, because the government have said I can't go to work, you're just going to have to pay me anyway. It's a shame, isn't it? So mm. it's got to be a two way thing, hasn't it? For some people, yes. working from home must be the ultimate nightmare. But for other people... I mean, how many times have you quoted that work-life balancing at me? Plenty. Mental health issues and all the rest of it. For some people, it's a blessed relief. It's as simple as that. Some people will, will love it. And I'm not saying that everybody should be forced to work from home. Should at least be an option. Just make it an option for people. Um, but Apple have been very naughty with what they've been doing. They, they've got people who, for physical health reasons, were working from home before all this started. And now that they want to carry on doing that, they're, they're investigating the medical records to see if they can drag them back in for some reason. Oh, get real. Good grief. You, you, this, you're not going to be able to roll this back. You're not. It's as simple as that. Lots of companies are facing the same issue. But, you know, you chose to build this, this Apple Park monstrosity thing and now it's a tinge big for the people who don't want to work there. The other thing, of course, is that when there is a business like that, Microsoft or Apple, and there's a physical location of a huge headquarters, it affects the housing market locally. So it's way more expensive. Um, now, if they're contemplating it, one thing that's been going on in the States, which is like, really? I don't, I don't see that happening here. I don't think employment law would allow it. Yes, OK, then you can work from home, but you'll have to take a 20% pay cut. Not if I'm not taking a 20% time cut, <laughs> but they've actually said that to people. Oh, the world's gone crazy. <clears throat> Well, once Apple had climbed down once, they clearly got the taste for it again. Indeed. Uh, the radical interface changes seen in Safari in the full Monty. Yes, that's what we're calling macOS Monterey, the full Monty. Um, I actually, I'd only seen a screenshot of it. I haven't installed it, obviously. But after feedback from the users, Apple changed their minds yes again. Uh, Timmy clearly has acquired a taste for the U-turn. So who knows what this final interface will look like? Did you actually see the screenshot? I think, I, yes, I did see the screenshot. I think it was to give you more real estate to see the website, that the URL bar was really tiny and then the tabs were next to that. And I'm, I'm looking at it thinking, no, 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 no. If you want an amazing browser that's completely customizable, just, just use Vivaldi and forget the rest. If Vivaldi ever goes away, there's going to be tears before bedtime. I'm more melded to it than Wave. And you remember how, how, that, how badly that ended. 
when yes. it disappeared. Don't I remember. Well, Timmy did another interview. This time it was to celebrate Apple's 40-year presence in Singapore, sharing the first Apple product he used. But I only needed to see the word interview. Still not brave enough for MacBytes, though, hey, Timmy? Don't do it, man. She'll show you no mercy. He did, however, Timothy, find time to reply to a YouTuber who, for reasons best known to himself, sent Timmy an air tag. Why did he do that? Because YouTubers are strange at times. He also sent an air tag to Elon Musk and Kim Jong... What was his name? Kim Jong-un? The guy that runs North Korea. Kim. Kim. Like Timmy. Kimmy. Yeah. Who runs North Korea. And before you ask, I've got no idea. I have no idea. Other than the attendant publicity, obviously. Anyway, Timmy sent said air tag back to the guy with a letter of thanks. But Timmy didn't reply himself, of course. Well, maybe he was working from home. <laughs> oh, maybe the heat's got to him like it's got to me. Um, we had hideous heat in the UK last week. To be honest, it's still not, not right now, is it? I'm still waiting for the rain that, that I ordered uh, over a week ago. But this hideous heat, I did not need reminding of it, Apple. So who thought it was wise to release a video promoting the Apple Watch called Hello Sunshine? They certainly didn't run it past me first. I suspect bad words were said. They were. And that was before I even saw the ad, which was appalling. The best part of the ad was watching your reaction to it. Oh, I'm glad to be of service in the entertainment department. But talking of weather, I was accosted by a new version of, the, of a weather app called Carrot. Not tried it myself, but apparently it's known for its funny and sarcastic weather information. Makes a change from the one I use that bears no relation to the actual weather. Needless to say, the one that I use is the Apple default thing. But Carrot have added the ability to make a weather report video and smart layouts so we can expect millions of incoming funny weather reports. I'd be much more impressed if I could order the weather I want and then have it delivered, because it wouldn't be this hot, I can assure you. Graham has been singing the praises of iMazing for years. It's an interface between you and the contents of your iOS device. But I'd already deployed PhoneView, uh, similar in concept, at least in principle. It did everything I wanted, but then disaster struck. My iPhone seized up, just died a death overnight. While it was charging, so I knew it wasn't a battery issue, refused point blank to turn on again. Do you know how to revive a non-responsive iPhone 11? Because there's no home button. So all the previous methods and incantations don't work. I did manage to solve it. It was the volume up, the volume down and all the rest of it. In an alarming combination, but I got there in the end. Each iteration just makes it more intricate. Anyway, after much persuasion, I managed to revive the device. Then I decided I was going to remove stuff off it to free up some space. Uh, the photos and videos are the nightmare for me. I have no intention of doing the iCloud photos thing. Despite the fact I've got two terabytes in iCloud, I decided to remove some of the longer videos. Now, again, PhoneView would have done that. It was when I decided to finally remove the apps that hadn't worked since I transferred the data, etc., from my old iPhone 7. So when the iPhone 11 arrived, I did a very quick setup of it because I was literally walking out of the door to an event that night. And I wanted 
the iPhone 11 camera with me. So I didn't bother doing a transfer from the iPhone 7. I thought I'll just set it up as new, go take some photos and that's fine. Then I pondered for a week what to do with it, to leave it set up as a new device like that or to actually nuke the whole thing and transfer everything from the iPhone 7. I ended up doing the transfer because it was nice to have it all set up in terms of the new device was just identical to the old. That That's a great way to set it up. Uh, the other reason was um, all my health data on the Apple Watch and all sorts. So I thought it through and I thought, you know what, we'll just do a transfer across. The transfer was actually painless, but it was a bit time consuming, took forever. Now, some of the apps that were on my phone and working perfectly on the iPhone 7 were no longer available in the store. So you get the option to either leave the pointer that's on your new phone there but you can't actually use the app because every time you, you tap it, it says, oh, not available to download anymore. Not really here. <laughs> you know, like the lights on, but nobody's home. That kind of thing. It's so annoying. Apple have never made it easy for you to manage your own apps. And it's even more annoying when, it's, when the same app is working perfectly on the iPhone 7, but you can't transfer it to your new device. Now, I could head off here on another rant all about Apple being too controlling for my own good, but I'll save that for another day. I spotted an offer on iMazing and decided that before nuking these apps, I'd try iMazing. And if that didn't do any good, then I would finally just accept it and delete these little pointer files and move on. So I bought iMazing, installed it on my iMac attached the iPhone to the iMac, gave it a go. Seriously, without much hope. The first thing it needed to do was an entire backup. And with about 220 gig of data, it took a while. But it only went and worked. Oh, I actually got back the apps that Apple refused to let me install. So I am one very happy bunny here. <clears throat> I need to say that Graham's advice proved to be extremely sage. I think in total it was about four or five apps. They're only little utility things, but they just work. And it's so annoying, as I say, to have it on the old phone, which the battery is very dicey. And the new one just has a point to tantalising me. To, you know, come on, come on, click me. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that, that's what life is like with Apple these days. But I got all of them back and they're all backed up now safely as well. So uh, thank you to Graham for that long term recommendation that I finally got round to doing. In the last show, I talked about Weber Booking. As a reminder, it's a plugin for WordPress that creates a WordPress driven booking system, which is exactly what I need for the admin side of the Excel training that I deliver. Installing the add-in creates a new table in the WordPress database hosted on my website. Stored in that table are details of the bookings, things like date and time of training, client name, course title, duration, have I been paid, and if so, how much. The main reason behind implementing this new system was to simplify the booking process. But because Excel can connect to tables in the WordPress database, I can do a whole lot more. The key to connecting Excel to a WordPress database is to use Power Query. Power Query is a free add-in for Excel written by Microsoft way back in 2010. And one of the things it's used for is to import data from external sources. The full functionality of Power Query is only available in the Windows versions of Excel. 
Although the Mac version now contains some basic Power Query functionality, it's nowhere near on par with the Windows version. In Excel 2016 on Windows, Microsoft took the functionality of Power Query and built it directly into Excel. And you'll find it in the Get and Transform section of the data ribbon. In my case, I used Power Query to import the data stored in the bookings table in the WordPress database. I had to use Excel on my Windows virtual machine because what I need to do isn't supported on the Mac version, as I say. I needed two separate lists in two separate worksheets. One to display training sessions in the future and one to display training sessions already delivered. So using Power Query, I created two queries. A query is simply a connection to the database. Query one displays records where the session date is after today. So training sessions scheduled in the future. And query two displays records where the session date is before today, sessions already delivered. Each query pulls back the relevant data from the database and stores it in a tabular list in Excel. I have the queries set up to automatically refresh or update every time I open the Excel file. So any changes made in the database, new bookings, deleted bookings, amended bookings, etc., are immediately reflected in the Excel lists. So now I have the data in Excel. What can I do with it? I can see what sessions I have upcoming. I can check whether there's any outstanding payments, which I do with a filter that I set up to show any records where the fee received is blank. Using formulas and pivot tables, I can generate stats and reports, things like total revenue per year, number of courses per year, number of sessions delivered and total revenue per client, which is useful if I'm considering dropping a client, which I did earlier this year. This particular client booked about six dates with me and then every single one was cancelled due to low bookings. When they came back and wanted more dates, I was able to point out that not only had none of the previous six sessions gone ahead, but across the past two years, the average revenue per session from this company was much lower than that paid by other clients. Similarly, I have a pivot table that displays revenue and number of courses delivered per topic. So again, that's useful if I'm considering dropping a topic. I used to offer OneNote training. Yeah, I know it's not Excel, but I was asked for it a few times. But when I looked at the stats, the revenue generated and the number of times that I delivered it meant that I could justifiably drop it from my list of trainings that I offer. By using a little bit of VBA code, I've integrated the Excel file with Word to create my own invoice generator, which saves me time and money in the process. But that's not the end of the story. Importing data is just one part of what Power Query can do. The power of Power Query is in its ability to manipulate data. For example, hiding columns. There's columns in the database table that I didn't need to display in Excel. I didn't need the email address that was specified on the booking form. I didn't need the phone number as that wasn't filled in when the booking was made. I didn't need the duration of the session. That's in my calendar. I didn't need the IP address of the person making the booking. I only needed the date, time, client name and session title. So using Power Query, I was able to exclude 
those columns from being loaded into Excel. Another issue is that dates and times are stored in the database as numeric values. The value actually represents the number of seconds since the 1st of January 1970, and it's known as an epoch number. And that then needed converting into a proper human readable date and time. So yes, it's taken me time to build the system, but it has been worthwhile. It saves me a ton of time and because it's homemade, I can customise it as and when I need to. You unboxed new toys last time on MacBytes After Hours. I did and I said then I don't know why I waited so long to buy them. Back in 2016, when I got my first Apple Watch, I immediately realised there was a single point of failure. If the cable broke, I wouldn't be able to use the watch once it was flat. So I checked the Apple cable prices. £30, not happening. And I found an alternative, but none of the available alternatives were the same size as the Apple version. They were all bigger to the point of not fitting in the stands that were available. But since it was only for a backup anyway, I bought it and it arrived. It was way bigger than the Apple cable, but it did it did its job. I would pack it away and make sure I took it with me when we went away. And other than that, it stayed in a bag in the house. Now, fast forward five years and three Apple watches later, and we have four cables for the watches, three original Apple cables, one of which came with each of the watches and the replacement cable that I bought back in 2016. And I hadn't given charging cables a thought since until I found myself inelegantly groping behind my desk for my charging cable. Did I mention the heat? That means there's a fan on and things just disappear off the back of the desk, don't they, Mike? Like your Apple Pencil did. Mm. So I grabbed this cable and was, I was dragging it back onto the, to the desk, which was when I asked myself why I'd never invested in a charging stand for the watch to use in the office. So with no good reason springing to mind, I headed off to Amazon to add more money to the Bezos Space Exploration Fund. Uh, quickly found a neat little stand and decided just on a whim, check out the cables and discovered several replacement cables, all under £10 now, that claimed to be exactly the same size as the Apple version. Worth a risk, I figured. So I ordered both the stand and a replacement cable. Uh, they arrive the next day. They are absolutely perfect. The stand is about as neat as you can get. It's like a rubber gel construction and it's a single piece of said rubber stroke gel. Um, because of that, it's non-slip by nature. So it hasn't got the glued on feet that constantly unglue themselves on metal stands. In fact, I wish they did one for the phone because the rubber feet drive me mad. Uh, I went for a white stand. Uh, but they also had black and red available. Um, you cannot tell this replacement cable from the original Apple cables. The cable actually had an extra 10% off, so I actually only paid £9 for it. It's absolutely perfect. I've had to put a dot on it so I know it's not the genuine Apple one. Can you imagine? I've got to take the Apple watch back to Apple and I take a fake charging cable with me. <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't be wise. So I know which one's which. Uh, I will put, uh, I actually unboxed everything during my bites after I was 138 last week. So I will put a link in the show notes to that if you want to go have a look at the unboxing. And as I say, it is well worth the investment. I should have done it ages ago. It's very unlikely to rein yourself in like that. Make the most of it. Doesn't happen often.
And talking of after hours, we're back on Friday night with another MacBytes after hours. What have you got? Uh, after the horror of Evernote's tinkering last week, I thought we'd take a look at the, one of the best alternatives which I'd mentioned, which is Nimbus Notes. So what about you? More pivot tables. Ooh. Important news about Marooned at MacBytes headquarters too. Yes, the show that started as a five-part series back in March 2020 at the start of the pandemic hits 500 shows on Wednesday the 28th of July. And with the world opening up again, the time is right to bring the curtain down on what has been a complete joy. It has been our absolute pleasure to share the last 500 days with our lovely MacBytes family. We have shared so much more than the highs and lows of pandemic living. We're a family and we always will be. So do join us for the last hurrah as we hit 500 shows. Even if you've never been with us before, it's not too late to join the Marooners for the last time. We'll be going live at 7pm UK time on the 28th. But that's it for this episode of Matt Bites. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to thecrew at mattbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to mattbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes and you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. What's the noise? I'm working. What are you doing? I'm building something. Are you building a man cave? No, it's something she'll appreciate much more than that. It looks like a shed. It's for storage. Storage for what? It's somewhere for her to park her broomstick. You know no fear, do you? She'll have your illuminated backside for this.